Let's go to scripture. Matthew chapter 16 today. I'm trying to rush because there's so much good stuff that I got to get in here. Matthew chapter 16. This is probably one of the most powerful conversations that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. You may have heard this one before. I'm going to read it to you starting off in verse 13. Who do the people say that I am? Say that the son of man is, Jesus would ask. Well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist and some say that you're Elijah, but others uh, say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, uh, but for, for my, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being, but I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Praise God. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on this earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on this earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah yet. I'm telling you all of this as an intro. First of all, this is powerful. And I mean, we could talk and preach and share on that, on those verses forever. But I just want to set the tone for the next conversation that happens in the next verse. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Note that word, plainly. And it was necessary, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed. And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. I don't know if you know this, but you should never reprimand Jesus. <laughs> Just kind of basic theology right there. Just letting you know that. Smite thee. Um, uh, so, uh, so he reprimanded him and saying such things, Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Good words to the leader of the church. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, would you help? Amen. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, we're starting a new series called Jesus Never Said. Now, actually, uh, what I've discovered is that this is actually a popular series that lots of churches have done. And uh, we're going to do this a little differently than a lot of churches. In fact, uh, this week we have uh, one person that's going to help us with the sermon. But over the next three, four weeks, we're going to have like 12 people actually sharing on a weekly basis. And so rather than this sermon coming from, from me, I actually want it to come from you. And so uh, we have a lot of people that are going to be sharing over the next couple weeks, and it's going to be very powerful, some of the answers that we've gotten back from, from people, the things that Jesus never actually said. Um, and what I'm realizing, I just wanted to set the foundation for this conversation. As we're diving into this story, Peter gets freaked out by the things that Jesus told him plainly. Hey, I'm going to have to suffer many terrible things at the hands of the religious people. People are still suffering terribly at the hands of religious people. Little note. Um, but he says, I, I want to let you know, I, 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 I'm going to suffer terribly. But what's happening here is that Peter takes this statement, and he's hearing something different than what Jesus actually said. Jesus didn't actually say, I'm going to suffer terribly. Nope. 
He said, I, what I'm gonna, he says, I'm going to suffer terrible things at the hands of the elders and that I will be killed, but on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. I want to let you know that something happens inside us as people, as humans, that when other people are speaking, sometimes we have the ability of only hearing certain parts. Life has a way of filtering through our emotions, our feelings, even what the things that we see. My wife this week asked me, hey, Tim, very important on your way home in one text. I need you to go to the store. I need you to get a couple things. Check. Heard it. I need you to grab the church phone before you leave the church and bring it home. Check. Got it. I heard all these things, and I thought to myself, I got to go. Run to the truck. Go to the store. Get what she needs. Get home. I'm here. Everything's great. Great. Did you bring the phone? Crap. How did I not see? Like, I heard it, but I didn't hear it. And Peter heard, you're going to suffer. And something inside of him, it must have been fear. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because he sacrificed so much to be here in this moment. But he didn't hear, Jesus, you're going to be raised from the dead. I would think that he would say, time out. Can we, can we talk about that part for a second? No, but what he heard was, I'm going to suffer. No, I'm not going to let that happen to you. In fact, Jesus would rebuke Peter and say, this is the leader of the church. Remember, we just heard this. He would rebuke him, but that, that wouldn't change Peter and his tenacity and the fight inside of him to prevent Jesus from suffering. Right before Jesus was arrested, the, the guards come and G Peter grabs a sword and he starts, he wanted to do everything he can not to let Jesus suffer. But if he would have listened and not heard Jesus through his own lens and through his own filter, he would have heard Jesus say plainly, I'm going to be raised from the dead. What would happen in life if we could see the end of the story and not just what we're going through in the moment? Peter really had a hard time with this. And what I love about this verse, man, I think all of us can see life through fear, through finances, through relationships. Like, believe it or not, there have been times with me and my wife where we've like, we had like one or two arguments and she said what she thinks I said, but I didn't say that what I said, you ever have this argument with someone you love? That's not, that's not what I said. What I said was this. And I think it's, we have to, because hurt and fear and past arguments climb into those moments in life. Am I the only one that's just trying to be real here? Peter was scared. And I don't know if he was scared for the other 11 disciples or just himself. But as the verse continues on, when Jesus rebuked Satan, he, Jesus looked at him and said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You're a dangerous trap to me. Because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, but not from God's. And I think that what's difficult in the time that we're living in right now is your learning. Many of you jumped on the 40 days of reading the Bible with us, and you read more than you've ever read in your life. Thankful for that. But at the same time as you're learning God's word, you're also learning things from Facebook and Instagram and Google. And the internet is teaching you so rapidly. Right now, never before, we're overstimulated with information, and you're learning truths. And what's hard is Peter knew truths. 
Like he knew that you're God. And if you're God, you can't let this happen. If, I mean, you're God, you can do anything. Why would you let this happen to you from the human point of view? We can rationalize truth and say, what we know is this is truth, or this is truth, or this is truth. And so if we're not careful, we can take God's word and things that we have learned in this life and put them in the same bowl. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say is that sometimes I think life is teaching you and your feelings are teaching you and Google is teaching you and you're putting a lot of God's word in the same bowl as your feelings and your perception of what's happening politically, of what's happening in other countries, of what could happen one day in our country based on things that happened in other countries years ago. And if we're not careful, we can act out of fear other than just my daily Bread, what do you want me to know today, God? Because I'm willing to be dumb enough to just believe what you say to me today. But Jesus looked at Peter and he said, get behind me. But then he said, you're a dangerous trap to me. Because I, I think that this is funny, that Jesus knew that if he listened to Peter's insecurity, it could actually affect his mission. Do you realize that if you are reading other people's fears could actually, you might actually buy into whatever it is. And I'm, I, there's no agenda in this actually. What I'm saying is what we need to know is what the Lord would say to you. Have relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, what if my fear as your pastor rubs off on God's mission for your life? What if... What if your best friend or even our spouse or our kids, their fear gets into us. They come home from school and they're worried about something that happened. And then all of a sudden we worry about that thing that happened rather than acting in faith and saying, let me just pray with you. God's blessing and protection and security over your life. You hear me? I'm going to pivot. In this series, this is things that Jesus never said. And I think that what we have an ability to do uh, is to learn from culture things that we include Jesus' truth in. And I think that what's important for all of us to understand before we go any further today is that we have to be washed in the word. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one of the coolest verses in the Bible, Paul is reminding all of us believers who know the word, know the word, that we can't copy the behaviors or the customs or the patterns of this world, but we have to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way I think. Then we'll learn God's will for me. Then you'll learn God's will. When you transform your mind, then you'll know what God wants for you. And that doesn't come from knowing about God. That comes from sitting down and having my daily bread. And you'll good and pleasing, perfect will is for your life. And I tell you, it's the most wonderful thing to know you're good. And there's peace because truth has come to you. And you realize that the one that's walking next to you is going to protect you. Does that make sense? 
what I just want to make, I have to make these points quickly, but in, in, um, in Ephesians, what I wanted to, to do is, is, is how do you renew your mind? To make her whole, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says, to make her holy and clean, washed her by the cleansing of God's word. And I think that truth, yesterday's truth is not good enough for you today. Because what was right yesterday may not be right today. This is not like making a recipe where this is how we make turkey or this is how we make spaghetti. The Lord wants to lead you and he wants to speak to you. And so getting God's word into your life is important because there are times in life where we're going to change. And if you look at Jesus' relationship with the disciples, oftentimes it would just change. We're 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 not doing that today. We're doing this. I think of the sons of thunder, you know, where like Jesus is trying to walk to to Jerusalem. They stop by Samaria. Samaria doesn't want Jesus or the disciples there because they know they're on the way to Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, we're going to act by faith. Jesus, you want me to call down fire from heaven today and destroy that city? You know, and he's like, oh, gosh, I got to work with these disciples, you know. And and, and no, that's not the way we're going to do it. In fact, I was looking in in the scriptures of all of the misunderstandings that the disciples had. In the book of John, it's actually one of the nicknames for the book of John is the book of misunderstandings. In the second book, in in the second chapter, uh, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. In the third chapter, he says, you must be born again. He would go on to say in the fourth chapter, out of me, if, if, you, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me to give you water, for out of me will flow living water. And it was like again and again, they heard what he was saying, but they were not hearing what he was saying. He would go on to say, uh, after he feeds 5,000 people, he looks at the disciples and he says, beware of the leaving of the Pharisees. Beware of the teachings of the Pharisees. And the disciples go, dang it, we didn't bring any bread with us. And he's like, oh my gosh, why are you not hearing what I'm saying? Again and again, Jesus would say something and the disciples would hear something different. And I want you to know that it's important that we're washed with the word of God because if we're not careful, we will misunderstand what Jesus is saying with what we're learning in this world. Make sense? Last thing I'll say before uh, my friend Deb comes is Jesus would teach the disciples how important it is to be washed. The night before he died, how many of you know, the night before you know you're going to die, your schedule is going to be planned out, you, you're going to do what it is you want to, you're going to say, Jesus took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and walked over to the disciples and he said, hey, look, the disciples are normal people. They're just as stubborn as you are. Many of you are the most stubborn people you've ever met in your whole life. And he goes to wash their feet, and, the, and Peter tries to stop him and says, Lord, you will never, I will never let you wash me. <laughs> Not something you want to say to the Lord, but we have these stances of things that we think God will do and things he will not do, and this is where we put our foot down. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, if you don't let me wash you, you won't be part of my kingdom. He wasn't, it wasn't just about foot washing. He was also teaching him how to be a follower. Like, listen, we, we will grow as we serve, and you've got to serve. But you also have to let me cleanse you first. It'll be the most important thing that ever happens in your life.
Is that fair? Friends, my friend Deb. What's up? So when Tim asked me to do this, I knew exactly which one I wanted to pick. And it's one that I'm kind of passionate about. And so I pray that the understanding of why I'm so passionate about it um, is communicated. So Jesus never said, I just want my children to be happy. Just do what makes you happy. You deserve, you, you deserve to be happy. You're a good person. You deserve to be happy. I'm trying not to be like spicy, but <laughs> if you know me, it's like hard to hold back. Okay. Um, so, um, and also I am not a preacher, so I apologize in advance if I just like read straight off this paper, but I'm going to try and do my best. Um, so people say things like, I am done trying to please others or make other people happy. I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to do what makes me happy. And we cheer them on and we say, you do you, boo. That good for you. Like you go ahead. Um, stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Just do what makes you happy. And we condone this like, like it's normal, right? Um, but what's dangerous is when we start to believe ideas that come from the world is the same thing as what God wants for us too. And so um, this little chunk right here, straight up, I stole from Greg Trochelle. So it's not me, but it's really good. So listen. Um, so here's the issue. Today, it's so common for us to hear things like, that may be your truth, but I have a different truth. Or you live your truth and I live mine. I'm just going to do what makes me happy and live my truth. Am I the only one who's like heard this recently, right? Um, so here's the fundamental problem with that. Without a belief in absolute truth, then truth is defined by whatever makes me happy. And when the bottom line is my happiness, then happiness becomes the standards by which I judge my actions. If it makes me happy, it must be good. If it doesn't make me happy, it must be bad. And so this is really the root belief that happiness and holiness are against each other. They're at odds. You can either be happy and do whatever you want, or you can be holy and be boring and miserable. You can, you know, I feel like some people think holiness, well, I don't want to be a monk and like not do anything with my life and give up absolutely everything because I like what I like. Um, and so we don't think that they can go hand in hand. Um, but what the scripture shows us is that holiness is the pathway that leads to true joy, not just happiness. And so there, I want to like, I might harp on that a little bit, that there is a difference between joy and happiness. And sometimes we equate the two, but they're really not the same. <laughs> um, and so um, in Psalm 1611, really quick, hopefully this will make sense. Um, in the Psalms, it says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. The fullness of joy is what it says in some other um, translations. And the pleasures of living with you forever. And so I think why, I'm trying not to repeat myself, sorry. Um, why, some people might think, why strive for holiness when it seems like so much hard work? It's giving up everything. It's like, some people might feel um, condemned at times in churches when they're hearing and they're like, oh, I got to give that up. But, you know, it seems like, like so much of like a sacrifice. Like, like there can't be joy with giving up the things that we love. Does that make sense? Um, and so, um, 
Okay, so I'm gonna share with you something that we see the Lord say over and over in the Old Testament, and then we'll see how Jesus also says the same thing in the New Testament. So, sorry, I'm going so fast. Um, so in Leviticus, the Lord is speaking to Moses for the people of Israel. And in Leviticus 11:44, he says, for I am the Lord, your God, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Again, Leviticus 19:2, you must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Leviticus 27. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Last one, Leviticus 20, 26. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. And so you may think that, and I'm going to read what Jesus says um, in the New Testament in a minute, and just think, I don't know, I feel like some people might hear that and feel a little bit condemned, feel like, you're just asking me to be perfect, and I can't be perfect. Um, so in Matthew 5, 48, this is Jesus um, teaching. It's the passage on loving your enemies. Not the easiest one, right? Praying for those that persecute you. So Matthew 5, 48, at the very end of the section, he says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sounds familiar, right, from what we just uh, heard in the Old Testament. And so if you're anything like me, you may read that and think, well, I, I can't reach perfection, so why would you even say that? <laughs> What's the point? Like, the Lord knows us. He knows that we can't be perfect, so why is he asking me of that? Um, and again, that's kind of equating, it's along the same lines of equating holiness to boring because I'm not about to sign up to live in a monastery. Um, and so I did a little bit of digging, and um, I pulled two quotes from commentaries on this specific verse to try to bring some clarity. So the first one, um, they say, in God, the perfection is not something attained, but exists eternally. But we draw near to it, and we become partakers of the divine nature when we love as he loves. And the next one says, this does not imply that man will ever have such fullness of love, such perfection, perfect love as the father has, but that he will fully and completely attain to that measure of love to which he as a created being was intended to attain. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. I'll just make it sure. <laughs> um, and so in other words, the word from Jesus and what I feel like these commentators are trying to say, um, this actually reminded me of a passage that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. Hold on. Um, chances are it's not going to be the first time you've ever heard this passage, right? So in Philippians 3, because those two commentators were saying, yeah, you, we can't be perfect, but we can live, we can strive for this, right? So Philippians 3, 12 through 14, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I'm going to invite the band back up because we're going to sing a song in a second. Um, but I feel like what sums all of this up when we're talking about holiness and happiness and joy I have here, I'm sorry, I'm just going to read. <laughs> Finding true peace and joy is in the posture of the heart. It's submitting to the Father and saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. 
It's honoring the Lord with our choices, consecrating ourselves to him. It's resting in the presence of the Lord rather than distracting ourselves with what we in our carnal ways think will make us feel better or make us happier. It's the joy that comes from surrender. And joy is much better than happiness. Our God is faithful. It makes me think of the lyrics to um, the song called Gyra by Mav City, um, which the lyrics come straight from scripture. Um, but he says, or the words say, if he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? So holiness and striving to be holy, persevering, choosing the Lord's will over our own, this is what leads to true joy. They're, they're not two separate things. It's not holiness over here, happiness over here. It's when we are striving for holiness and we are persevering and continually laying down at the foot of the cross. It, that is what gives us inexplicable joy. It's what gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. It's what makes us different from the world that when, because joy, hold on, I think I wrote this down. Mm, maybe not. No, I did. I'm going to try to try to just say it. Um, you, joy... You can still have joy when your circumstances are terrible. Whereas I feel like with the world, when everything's crumbling down, they have nothing to hold on to. But when we have the Lord and our striving and our constant, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense and we are constantly laying down, it doesn't make sense on earth that we can have joy and we can have peace, but we do. Like that's the gift that the Lord is giving us through all of this. Um, so anyways, we are going to sing a song called Song of Surrender. It's one that Rachel and I wrote um, because, again, hello, I'm like very passionate about this. I see people striving or, you know, trying so hard to find happiness. And I just am over here like, but here it is. Like, you just surrender. And I know it's so difficult to understand, I feel like, sometimes. Because to someone who doesn't know the Lord, it does. why would you give up everything? That's not going to make you happy, you know? But I am just so grateful that he knows better than we do. And that there is testimony after testimony of people surrounding us that can encourage us in our walks. Does that make sense, guys? Okay. All right. Weird transition, but we're going to sing now. So good, Deb. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this series the way it is is because I realized there is like a lot of things that culture is teaching a lot of us and we're all hearing it from different lenses. And I feel like um, some of y'all will just say it better than me. Like I'm not, uh, I may be y'all's pastor, but we're all pastors. We're all ministers. Like we're all like in the way, man, Deb, I love it. I remember when you told me you were going to do this message and I just kept thinking, yeah, I've heard so many people say, I just, I'm just, God just wants you to be happy. Yikes. There's a lot of things that make me happy that are not making me healthy, you know, and they're not, they're not actually making me happy. It's short-term gratification. In the end, I'm asking myself, God, why did you abandon me? <laughs> just trying to talk to you the whole time. All right. Anyways, I gotta, I gotta do my sermon here. All right. Um, this is uh, what uh, the Lord wanted me to share as we close today is um, some of the things that I think culture has said that we, if we're not careful, we can buy into. Um, I, the, the life verse of our church is John 14, 6, where Jesus um, came out and had this powerful statement. But what he did not say is, I am a way, a truth, and a life. Jesus never said, I'm an option. 
I've got some truth, and uh, you might find life if you follow me. That's, that's not the gospel. But we are taking Jesus' truths as if they're equal to many of the things that we've learned in our life on the way. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to abandon everything that you know. I am the truth. I am the way and I am the life. And uh, I, I, prior to me coming to know Christ, I had tried Buddhism. I had tried Catholicism. I, I had tried Reiki. I had tried drugs. I had tried women. I had tried a lot of things to try to figure out life. And when I was confronted with the gospel and Jesus saying, no, no one will come to the Father apart from me. It was a sobering statement. I'm the only option. And there are a lot of people in our life where, where when we hear their wisdom, we, we, we are intimidated because we want them to try Jesus as if he's a good option amongst the many options that they have. But when the, when the disciples were preaching the gospel, they weren't giving an option. They were explaining Jesus' truth. I just want to take you for just a moment before we close today and explain something to you. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a really powerful conversation with a really powerful person. And in this um, conversation, there's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader uh, who was a Pharisee. And uh, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he said, we all know that you, that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God's with you. Love that. Nicodemus knows who Jesus is. Like he's like, I, I, we can, it's clear. So, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, very clear statements here. That no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Human can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. And the wind blows wherever it wants to, just as you can hear the wind. But you can't, you can't tell where it comes or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. The three things that we hear Nicodemus saying in this statement is it's obvious that God's with you. How, how is this possible? How is this possible? And he's not hearing what Jesus is saying as he got stuck in you must be born again. And he's visually trying to figure out what Jesus is saying, and Jesus is saying, you've got to start your life completely over, born of the Spirit. There's no other truth outside of me. You're going to have to understand this. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you've decided 
to start your life over solely following the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to be born of water. You're going to have to be cleansed. And you're going to have to follow the Holy Spirit every day of your life. I'm not trying to add anything or take anything else away from, but I, I believe as I was praying for this, that there are many people even here today that need to understand Jesus didn't give it an option. I think you should consider being born again. I think you should consider buying this or, or tasting this, or this is a good idea or a, a cool suggestion. He said, you're gonna, you must be born again. And I don't know if you have found another way to the Father or another way that you think that you're going to find eternal life. Maybe attending church intermittently or giving money or helping people will buy you enough merit to get to heaven. But I want you to know that if that was enough, the Father would have never sent His Son to die. Bottom line, the only way we get to heaven is through Jesus. He gave his life for us. Just want you to know that God loves you. And you can trust the word of the Lord. And the moment that I decided to surrender my life to Jesus, I encountered the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are some in here that are trying to live for God or trying to be nice or trying to be a good person. And I think that that's all cool. But it's not what Jesus said. 